Hi there, and welcome to the media ministry of River Bible Church. I'm Pastor Dustin Daniels, inviting you to visit our website to download today's sermon notes. You can sign up for our newsletter and also submit a prayer request. We would love to pray for you and answer any questions that you may have. For more information, visit riverbible.org. Now let's open up the Word of God together for today's message. All right, let's take a look here. We're in Mark chapter 13. We're in verses 14 through 23 today. If you do not have a Bible, we got Bibles in the back for you. That's our gift to you. And as you turn to the scripture passage today, let me review from last Sunday. We saw how the 12 disciples were admiring the temple's beauty and its size. Now, this temple, keep in mind, it's been the center of the, of the, the 12 disciples' universe their entire lives. They, they've only known the temple and the importance of the temple itself. And as the disciples are admiring this temple, without skipping a beat, Jesus tells them that, that the temple's going to be destroyed. It's like finding out that John F. Kennedy was shot. Or the spaceship Challenger exploded during takeoff. Or learning that the terrorists blew up the Twin Towers in New York City. So after hearing this news, the disciples, they wanted to know how and they wanted to know why the temple was going to be destroyed. But Jesus didn't give them a direct answer. He actually presses in and he gives them more bad news. Uh, this brings us to a couple key points from last Sunday. The first being that Jesus doesn't give the disciples what they want. He gives them what they need. He gave them the truth and the reality of that truth. We talked about how some of the greatest threats to the church don't come from outside the church, but inside the church. And we discussed how discernment and being very careful who you're watching on the internet, the podcasts that you're listening to, the authors that you're reading... Be very, very careful. We talked about how sharing the gospel is more important than your personal safety and how your suffering is not about you. We talked about endurance and how endurance is, the, is a key characteristic of the Christian life. And it was a heavy sermon. Those are heavy things to ponder. And that's all our uh, review from last Sunday. And really, the, the subject of endurance, it, it really segues well into today's message. So what Jesus is doing here, he's moving from prophesying and, and promising about the destruction of the temple with all the persecution in the, in the first century. Now he moves to an unknown time frame with the end of the world. This is known as the Great Tribulation. So let me define what that looks like for us here before we even get started. The Great Tribulation, it's a time of worldwide devastation. The Great Tribulation is a time of worldwide devastation. This is a, a revealing of God's truth. The Great Tribulation is when the wrath of God will be unleashed on all of creation because of unpaid sin. This is a time of unrivaled wickedness. Why? Because the Holy Spirit, what he's going to do is he's going to remove his common grace from the earth. During the Great Tribulation, demonic activity will escalate 
at a level that has been unseen and unheard of since the beginning of mankind. This is a time where God begins his severe judgment on sin. And for the most part, time has run out for the world. The time of grace has ended. God's judgment begins. There are a few exceptions to that. But make no doubt about it, it's, it's decision time for the world. So let's pause. <laughs> if you're new to River Bible Church, we welcome you for the first time. We're going to be talking about <laughs> the great tribulation today. Ta-da! You know, we may think that that's not fair. Um, but let's remember here that, that God the Father... He gave us Jesus to deal with our sin. God the Father, he doesn't leave us in our brokenness. The most famous Bible verse in all of Scripture, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to, to condemn the world, to find you guilty, no, but he gave a son in order that the world might be saved through Jesus. Whoever believes in Jesus is not guilty, not condemned. But whoever does not believe is already guilty. He's already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. It's as if God's saying, you know what, guys, you don't want my son to pay for your sin. Well, how dare you? How dare you? So you're going to have to pay for your sin yourself. And you're going to pay through it through this thing called the tribulation and also a very real place called hell for all of eternity. Now, for those of you who have called on the name of Jesus as Lord and Savior, and you believe in your heart that God the Father raised Jesus from the dead, I've got some very good news for you. <laughs> It is my understanding that you, along with the rest of the church, will not endure the great tribulation. Jesus will supernaturally snatch us out of this world into heaven. I know it sounds like science fiction. If you're hearing this for the first time, if you're not familiar with it, it is called the rapture. And, and the reason that God is going to pluck his church out of this world during those final years of the tribulation is, is two things. Number one, the book of Revelation talks about the church only at the beginning and at the end. The book of Revelation doesn't talk about the church in the middle. Number two, Scripture, you know, when we read about Scripture, we, we hear about Jesus being a husband and the church his bride. And since Jesus has already endured the cross... He already endured the wrath for sin one time. Why would he let his church, his bride, why would he let his bride experience God's wrath again when Jesus has already paid for those sins? So yes, dear friends, the rapture is biblical. It's a biblical event. You can read, uh, read more about that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 and following. But today, Jesus is going to teach us the importance not only of the rapture, we're not really going to touch on that, but, but the, the great tribulation and, and really how it applies to you at this moment. What's it mean for us today? 
I mean, this is another weighty lesson. Uh, it's from the same conversation that Jesus had with his disciples last week. And really what we're doing here is we're breaking Jesus' teaching in Mark chapter 13 into four sermons. So we can digest it slowly. Just keep in mind that this was one conversation with his disciples. So, as you'll remember from last Sunday, the disciples, they wanted a sign. When is the, when is the uh, temple going to be destroyed? When, when is the end of the world coming? They wanted to know a sign. Well, today Jesus gives us that sign. What is it? Well, let's find out. If you would, please stand for the reading and the honoring of God's Word. Mark chapter 13, verses 14 and following. When you see the abomination of desolation standing where it should not be, let the reader understand, then those in Judea must flee to the mountains. A man on the housetop must not come down or go in to get anything out of his house. And a man in the fields must not go back to, his, to get his coat. Woe to pregnant women and nursing mothers in those days. Pray it, it won't happen in the winter. For those will be days of tribulation, the kind that hasn't been from the beginning of creation until now, and never will be again. If the Lord had not cut those days short, no one would be saved. But he cut those days short for the sake of the elect whom he chose. Then if anyone tells you, see, here's the Messiah. There he is. Don't believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will arise and will perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. And you must watch. I have told you everything in advance. Father in heaven, you are our teacher. The truth comes from you. And with our open Bibles now, as we go through this verse by verse, we pray that we do experience you that you would teach us this, the fulfillments of the tribulation, tribulations that you speak of. Please give us insight and wisdom today. Please give us a, a peace that surpasses our understanding of the, the world events that are around us. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 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 Have a seat, guys. Thank you. Let's take a deeper look here at verse 14. When you see the abomination of desolation standing where it should not be, let the reader understand, then those in Judea must flee to the mountains. So we discussed last week how Mark chapter 13 is one of the most difficult chapters in Mark's gospel. Well... Verse 14 is probably the most challenging verse in chapter 13, if not the entire New Testament. The disciples, they wanted a sign. Verse 14 is that sign. So Jesus, what he does here, he jumps right into the Great Tribulation. The Great Tribulation will last seven years. But Jesus jumps straight into the middle of this terrible, terrible time. The, three, the, the first three and a half years seem to be somewhat less tragic and terrifying compared to the, to the last three and a half years. Remember Jesus, he gave us the analogy of birth pains last week. So the, the end of the world becomes 
increasingly wicked over these seven years. So Jesus' illustration is this, as a, a, a woman's labor pains increase, so does the pace of wickedness as the end of the world draws near. So back to verse 14 here. When you see the abomination of desolation standing where it should not be, let the reader understand. So a better translation is standing where he should not be. Standing where he should not be. And what we'll see how this person plays out in a moment. Where is this person standing? Well, he's standing in the new temple in Jerusalem. It's a holy place. This is the first time that Mark's gospel also inserts commentary like this. He says, let the reader understand. This is so important because it's like Mark grabs us, you know, by our shirt collar. He looks, he looks us directly into our eyes and he says, all right, guys, you, you need to slow down. You need to pay attention. So really this insertion here is a ginormous clue to the context of this passage. Who are the readers reading this passage right now? It's us, right? So the context of this verse is not people in the first century because it wasn't until nearly 200 years later where the canon was established and affirmed. So dear friends, Mark is saying to River Bible Church this morning, hey guys, pay attention. You need divine wisdom here. So for us to understand what Jesus is saying, we have to go back. We, we have to see where else Scripture talks about the abomination of desolation. We've got to figure that phrase out before we can move on. So I'm going to slow way down here. I'm going to get in the weeds a little bit so we, we're all on the same page and we can understand what Jesus is saying. That term abomination, that is something that is detestable. It is immoral, sacrilegious, and repulsive to God. Abomination. It's something detestable, immoral, sacrilegious, and repulsive to God. So throughout scripture, the word abomination, it refers to idolatry and pagan worship. So when people choose to worship a false God, that is an, that's an abomination to the one true living God. Desolation, that is complete devastation and ruin. So you, when you saw the pictures of, of the, when the Twin Towers fell, um, that event, that tragedy, unfortunately, was like an hors d'oeuvre um, compared to the Great Tribulation that's coming. The Antichrist, I want to define this term even though it's not in that verse yet. The Antichrist, this is an enemy. This is a person who is an enemy of Jesus Christ and the church, and he is authorized by Satan. So it's important to note here that there are also, there, there's not just one Antichrist, there are many Antichrists throughout Scripture, and, and we'll get to that here in a moment. So Jesus, all that to say this, Jesus is not the first one in Scripture to use the abomination of desolation. The prophet Daniel uses this term in, in Daniel chapter 9, 11, and 12. Now normally... I want, I want us to learn our Old Testament, and I would have us turn to those passages. But if we did that today, we would open up a can of worms, and we would be here for the next 47 hours trying to unpack all that. So let me just summarize. The abomination of desolation, it is a sacrilegious act 
that results in widespread destruction. So basically, you just put those two terms together. The abomination of desolation is a sacrilegious act that results in widespread destruction. So let me give you some background on the prophet Daniel. Uh, in those passages, we read about a man named Antiochus IV. He is a Syrian king. He controlled Israel from 175 to 165 BC. Antiochus proclaimed that he was a god. And he did many, many things like that to irritate the Jews. He sacrificed a pig on the altar of the temple. And if that wasn't horrid enough, he forced the Jewish priest to eat the meat. And as you know, Jews don't eat ham or bacon. So that is a serious problem. Antiochus, he, he, he also goes on to oppress the Jewish people. He sells many Jews into slavery. And then he just slaughters thousands more. So, and, and then when you thought Antiochus was done, he goes on to place an idol of Zeus in the temple, probably right next to the idol of himself. And then finally, he sets up a brothel in the temple chambers. So that's Daniel's account. That's biblical history. Now, we would most definitely call Antiochus an antichrist. No doubt about that. So when Jesus uses this term, the abomination of desolation here, the disciples, they know precisely what Jesus is talking about. And that's why Jesus uses that term. Um, but Jesus is borrowing the term for the future. There's a pretty good chance here that Jesus is using this term as a double fulfillment to this verse. So many people, they look at this passage and they think, well, it either had to be fulfilled in the first century with the destruction of the temple, or it had to be, or it's going to be fulfilled when Jesus comes back. And I'm going to propose to you that it's not either or, but it's both and. So we see a, a double fulfillment all throughout scripture. For example, when we look at all the prophets, God was working obviously through the prophets. And these prophets, they were a type. They were a shadow of Christ himself. When you think about Moses and, and Abraham and, and Joseph and David and Noah, they, these men were all shepherding God's sheep at that time, but they were also pointing to Jesus at the same time. So let me show you what I mean here. Verse 14, Jesus says, then those in Judea must flee to the mountains. Now, Jesus is providing instruction at this point that is contradictory to what people did throughout biblical history, because when people were attacked... They didn't run out to the mountains. They ran into the protection of the city walls. And unfortunately, that's precisely what happened when the Romans invaded Jerusalem in 70 AD. Most people ran towards the city instead of away from it. However, the disciples, they, they told their followers what to do. The disciples had about 40 years to prepare for this event. So when the Romans destroyed the temple in 70 AD, they did just as Jesus promised. They ran away from the city. When the Romans conquered Jerusalem, all the Jews, all those that ran to the city, they were trapped inside those city walls. And when the Romans um, captured the city, they just butchered them. They slaughtered 1.1 million Jews in 70 AD. 
the Roman general Titus, his armies conquered Jerusalem. They stole all the gold from the temple. They burnt the, the place down to the ground like we talked about several weeks ago. Um, and that, that really wasn't enough for the Romans. That was not enough destruction. That was not enough desolation. That was not enough humiliation for the Jews. So Titus comes back on top of the rubble and he places an idol on the old temple grounds and he worships it. And once again, any form of worship other than the worship of the one true living God is an abomination. So this abomination also caused all sorts of desolation and destruction. But the Christians were not within those city walls. Why? Because of verses 15 through 8. They obeyed the words of Jesus. Jesus said, a man on the housetop must not come down or go in to get anything outside the house. A man in the field must not go back to get his coat. Woe to pregnant women, nursing mothers in those days, and pray it's not going to happen in the winter. So verses 15 through 18, this is all about urgency in the first century. Jesus knows exactly what's going to happen, so he gives his disciples this detailed instruction on how to survive. Basically, you don't want anything slowing you down. When you see this happening, you got to run. So all you preppers take note here. Jesus says, run. You're not going to have time to grab all that toilet paper you've been hoarding. You got to run. Jesus is precise here. He gives examples of, of things found in Israel. So really, you look at this text now, it's easy to think that Titus is the man that caused this abomination of, of desolation. But then Jesus says this in verse 19. For those will be the days of tribulation, the kind that hasn't been from the beginning of creation until now and never will be. Dang. All that to say this. Key point number one, the tribulation of the temple was a foreshadowing of the great tribulation. The, for, uh, the tribulation of the temple in 70 AD was a foreshadowing of the great tribulation. Jesus is saying that the great tribulation will be more catastrophic than Noah's flood. So we know that this prophecy is not completely fulfilled with the destruction of the temple in, in 70 AD. That would be impossible because we wouldn't be here if it was more destructive than the flood. Y'all with me? Okay. So we can look at this text this way. Number one, there was an, there was an abomination of desolation in the destruction of the temple. That was a tribulation in 70 AD. Number two, there will be a great tribulation that will soon impact the entire world. So Jesus gives us more insight here in verse 20. If the Lord had not cut those days short, no one would be saved. But he cut those days short for the sake of the elect whom he chose. So Jesus, he's not talking about the local tribulation of, of Jerusalem here in verses 19 and 20. It's like now Jesus has shifted gears and he's warning us about this worldwide cataclysmic event that no one knows the date or the time. 
this thing called the Great Tribulation. So God in His mercy, what He's saying here, He has cut these days short. The idea here is to amputate those days. He's going to remove those terrible, terrible days for the sake of the elect. He has removed them on purpose. Verse 20, he says, no one would be saved. Now, Jesus, he's not talking about salvation here. He is saying that no one would be delivered. No one would be rescued from the great tribulation if he didn't stop it, if he didn't, um, if he didn't put a pause to it, if, if he didn't cut it short, everybody would die. Why did he cut those days short? He goes on to say in verse 20, he cut those days short for the sake of the elect whom he chose. So, Jesus moves in here. We got to talk about the doctrine of election and what that means. Let me define this term for you, election. It's the act of God before he created the world where he chose a person or a group of people to be saved. So, if you, dear friend, if, if you have called on the name of Jesus for the payment of your sins, if you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, that is proof that you are a believer, right? This is, th that is your response to the gospel message is evidence of your election. It is a confirmation of your election. Your life now being is it, it, a a living sacrifice. It is a living testimony to your election and to your calling. So in other words, if you say that you're a Christian and your life has not been changed slowly and progressively towards holiness and purity, dear friend, you're not a Christian. The word of God is very, very specific. You can't meet the one true living God and forever not be changed over time. You can't come to the point to where you, you don't hate your sin over here and run to the glory of God and, and His holiness. You, you can't, if you're not learning to love God, right? This is the cross, to love God and to love people. Um, you, dear friend, you need to do some business with the Lord today. Because Christians act like Christ. We don't do it perfectly. But we do do it increasingly over time. Sons and daughters obey their heavenly father. So please, please don't fool yourself. Election is one of the most controversial aspects of salvation. And the, and the reality is that, yes, God loves the world. And yes, God loves people. And God has always made a distinction between people by placing his love upon them. Being chosen that is the very essence of what it means to be loved by God. So, for example, why did God choose Israel? Because he loved them. Why? He loved them because he chose to love them. Please know that scripture never apologizes; It never defends the doctrine of election. Election is something that happens to us. It's not something that we do. So, all that to say this, it's out of God's love for his elect that he chooses to cut those days short. Verses 21 and following, Jesus says, if anyone tells you, see, here's the Messiah, see there, don't believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will arise and they will perform signs and wonders 
to lead astray, if possible, the elect. And you must watch. I have told you everything in advance. So once again, we see the, the double fulfillment of this text once again. The, the tribulation with the destruction of the temple, it brought out many pretenders in the first century. And guys, there's going to be a lot more pretenders during the Great Tribulation. So please know that these false prophets, they will also have a supernatural demonic power to perform miracles. But they're not going to be able to deceive God's elect. See, your father, your God is a father. And a father guards his children with a holy vengeance. Somebody may take your life but they're not going to get your soul. Jesus says that these false teachers will perform signs and wonders. Signs, that, that's just another word for miracles. But wonders, that is the response of the miracle itself. People are going to be amazed by what these false prophets do. They're going to be, they're going to be in shock. They're going to be so surprised at this, they're going to be deceived, thinking that he is God. So key point number two Signs and wonders, they are not clear indicators of God's presence, but Scripture is. Signs and wonders, they are not clear indicators of God's presence, but Scripture is. That's why Jesus has been telling us repeatedly, be careful, be careful, be discerning, beware of these guys. And not only that, but now they're not, they're not only going to look good, they're going to have power. They're going to have demonic power to do these miracles, and they will fool many, many people. All right, so what is all this talk of the tribulation in the first century, the great tribulation coming up? We don't know when that date or that time is, but what does all this mean for you today, practically? Does it seem like science fiction to you? Is this one of them B-rated Christian movies? How, seriously, how relevant is all of this as you watch the news and, and you hear about all the wars and the rumors of wars? Let me ask you this. Doesn't it seem that something demonically supernatural has like clicked over the past couple years? It appears that we've entered into some kind of lower level of depravity. It seems that God has removed his hand of grace a notch from the earth. I mean, you can't not dismiss COVID as anything else but judgment from God. For the first time in history, in the history of mankind, there is a worldwide enemy that no one can even see, let alone understand. Some people think they understand, but they don't. Is COVID a birth pain? Yes. Are we a day closer to the great tribulation? Of course. Is mandatory vaccines a precursor to the mark of the beast. Mandatory vaccines. 
One of Australia's newspapers came out with a headline that said, no shot, no shop. Otherwise, you don't have the vaccine, you can't go get your groceries. Countries in, in Europe are, are moving toward these same kind of policies. Here in the US, the government is forcing the military personnel to get vaccinated along with encouraging major companies to fine employees who are not. So let me ask you this. Why would God judge the world right now? Why would he do that? Let's bring it in closer. Not the world. Let's just the country that we live. What about America? Why would he judge us? Let's just look over our shoulder for the past 100 years. We've engaged in the first sexual revolution back in the 1920s. Our second sexual revolution was in the 1960s. Our third sexual revolution is happening right now. We've legalized sodomy and lesbianism in 2015 under the guise of modern marriage. We've twisted and deformed the image of God through transgenderism. We're allowing and we're encouraging kids to mutilate themselves physically and emotionally. So much so that they truly believe that gender can be changed simply by saying it out loud. We started legally murdering people through the facade of abortion in the 1970s. We've taken prayer out of schools. We've taken prayer out of the workplace. And when we do pray, we are mocked, we are fined, we are shut down. We've modernized the abuse of women through internet pornography. Nearly every channel, every ad, every newscast depreciates the value of women who are made in the image of God. And then we continue to watch murder and rape and pornography as entertainment on a daily basis. And then lastly, we've, we've redefined truth to just mean whatever it needs to mean at the moment. So let me ask you again, why would God judge, not the world, but the United States of America right now? The answer is one word. It's disobedience. Jesus says there are two ways to live your life, and you get to choose. There's my way, and there's your way. See, it is the Lord Jesus who decides what truth is. It is the Lord Jesus who defines what marriage is. It is the Lord Jesus, your creator and your sustainer, who defines your sexuality and your gender for you. It's the Lord Jesus who defines marriage and love. It's the Lord Jesus who, who tells you how to treat your spouse and your children and your neighbors. It's the Lord Jesus who tells you how to handle your finances. And it is the Lord Jesus who offers eternal life. See, the great tribulation will happen because people refuse to repent of all of this sin and to acknowledge that Jesus is indeed God. So let me ask you this. Are we as a nation, are we, are we coming close to repentance? Everybody go like this. No. In fact, people are becoming more defiant, 
just at the thoughts of a holy God telling them the best way to live their life. And yet, dear friends, the great tribulation is coming. So the question this morning after a text like this, are you ready? Are you ready for all hell to break loose? Because we haven't seen anything yet. And I'm not talking about physically or financially being prepared. I'm talking about spiritually prepared. Do you know Jesus? Do you know that you know that you know Jesus the Christ? Because he is coming back. He is coming back. And, and when he comes back, this is, when he comes back, guys, this is not like our picture of Jesus, right? He's not going to be coming back as this 21st century, sissified, Americanized, feminized Jesus that we think that we know. When Jesus comes back, Scripture says he's going to have eyes like a fiery flame. He's going to have feet like bronze to crush the wicked. He's going to be tatted up, and his clothes are going to be dipped in blood. And then he's going to have a sword coming out of his mouth. People who mock the cross of Christ, they're going to meet Jesus. They're going to pay for those sins themselves. Now, we don't know the day or the time that this is going to happen. <laughs> I was talking to a friend of mine, Pastor Randy, over at, at Vineyard Church across, the, across town. And he said, you know, he said this, Jesus hasn't come back yet because he can't understand all of our graphs and our charts for the end times. <laughs> Isn't that good? He's so right. He's like, am I supposed to, am I pre-post? It's okay. I don't know. But one thing is for sure, and that is in verse 14, when you see a man who claims to be a God, having demonic powers standing in the new temple in Jerusalem, demanding to be worshipped, that is the sign where you know that there's three and a half years left of this great tribulation. That's the sign we're looking for. After those three and a half years, Jesus will come back for a second time. And we'll get into that next week. Stay tuned, Stay tuned is right. <laughs> now keep in mind, the temple has not been rebuilt yet in Jerusalem. But there are people planning on building it. And in all seriousness, guys, my, my prayer this morning, and I know this is a heavy text. Chapter 13, I, I gave you the precursor to it. Um, my prayer is that the words of Jesus don't freak you out, but they do give you pause. So that you critically think about your relationship with Jesus. Is he Lord of your life? Is he the Christ? Is he the only way to salvation? Because nothing is more important. Secondly, our job as the church doesn't change either after a message like this. Our job is the same as it was yesterday. It's going to be the same as it's going to be tomorrow. Our job is to share this good news of the gospel. The good news is that Jesus came to set the captives free. The good news is that the Verde Valley can have peace with God. Regardless of all the worldly circumstances, 
So dear friends, I'm going to continue to plead with you to grab one of those blue invitation cards before you leave. Grab one of those paperback Bibles. And just to give it to one person this week to share the love of Jesus and how Jesus has paid the sin debt for that person as he prepares us all for the great tribulation. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you for the unbelievable truth that you have, you have shared with us this morning. Lord Jesus, you don't sugarcoat anything. You always speak directly to the heart. You have shown us that, well, really, you have revealed some new things to us. There are no secrets. The things that you reveal are for our good and for your glory. And the things that we don't need to know, we simply don't need to know. And I pray, Father, as we are another day closer to the great tribulation, that we're able to take a breath, realize that you are the one true living God, and that this life that we're living right now, it is, it's just a taste of what you've planned for us for all of eternity. So, Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you for forgiving us of our sins, for allowing us to have peace with God the Father through the cross of Christ. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.